Welcome to September's edition of the Home Run Club. I can hardly believe I am saying that it feels like summer flew by. The older I get, the quicker they go. I remember my mom saying the same thing. So here we are, and I'm sure you can relate. So thankful for your support and love. You need to know that we continue to be in process of renovating the uh, little over 4,000 square feet in our Zealand location, basically doubling our size there so that we can continue to meet the needs of those who are calling in for counseling, for coaching. And we thank you so much for partnering with us in making all this possible. And we're sending this as a thank you for supporting us, believing in what we do. So grateful for that. I also want to let you know, uh, coming up on October the 20th, that's when we do our Legacy Lunch. This is where we honor those who have been married 50-plus years. Always have a wonderful time of celebrating thousands of years of marriage and just celebrating the couples that have stayed committed to each other. In our society, it is obvious that this is a great testimony and we love celebrating it if you'd like to come to it it is a free lunch for those who have been married over 50 years so simply call our office 616-772-1733 616-772-1733 ask for deb she'll get you signed up and we'd love to be able to see you on that day of celebrating 50 years of marriage Today I'm going to uh, invite you to listen as Steve shares with us. Steve Norman, who's a part of our staff, does a great job teaching and sharing and preaching. And this is a message about letting bitterness go. So many times in family relationships, bitterness begins to grow and it becomes a thistle and a thorn in the family branch of life. And so today Steve's going to talk about the importance of making sure that doesn't happen in your life and in your family and I just challenge you to continue to use these opportunities as you listen to grow, grow closer to Christ, grow closer to your family, and win at home. So thank you so much for partnering with us. I hope you enjoy as Steve shares this message. I will never forget the night my mom's dinner made my sister sick. Now let me explain. My mom was making dinner, and I'm the fifth of six kids. And how many of you know that when it's around dinner time, if kids have not snacked the way that you told them to, they like hover around the food preparation zone. And sometimes food that is not yet prepared disappears. That's what happened on this night. My sister was just kind of counter surfing, and she grabbed something while my mom wasn't looking, and she ate it. Problem was, it was raw pork. And for those of you who know anything about food preparation, know that you can eat raw fish, and you can eat raw beef. You shall not eat raw pork. And uh, when my mom figured out that this was the case, she took my sister to the bathroom. She gave her syrup of Ipecac from the medicine cabinet. I don't know if any of you know what that is, but it's a vomit-inducing kind of solution. And uh, fortunately, despite the discomfort of having the raw pork returned from whence it came, my sister was uncomfortable, but she was not hospitalized. That's what good moms do. They're like, this is going to get bad, but it's only so that it can get better, right? Moms are full of love. Now, it is true. I asked my mom later, I'm like, what's the big deal? And she's like, well, trichinosis is a parasite that can reside in raw pork. And it can, it can make you violently ill. In very extreme cases, it can kill you. And I was like, oh, note to self, never eat raw pork. And trichinosis can be fatal. And so can the topic for today's conversation. Bitterness can kill you too. Which is why the writer of the book of Hebrews, says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. How many of you know that our world is having a hard time living in peace with everyone these days? 
Why? So that you can be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Have you ever noticed that if you're stuck spiritually, there might be a relationship cause to that? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, some of us have ingested bitterness lately, and it is toxic to our spiritual health, and God wants to flush it out of our system for our healing and for our good. Now, in order for us to move past the bitterness that some of us are stuck in, we need to take a fresh look at four different pictures. We need a fresh look at bitterness and its consequences. We need a fresh look at ourselves and our need for mercy. We need a fresh look at others and how God sees them. And then finally, we need a fresh look at God and the hope that he offers. So let's start with a fresh look at bitterness. Again, verse 15 says, make sure that no bitter root grows to cause trouble. When we look at bitterness accurately, we realize that not only does bitterness prevent us from seeing the Lord clearly, bitterness causes trouble and bitterness defiles many. Now, to defile means to pollute, to contaminate, to poison. Author Skip Gray said this, he goes, Bitterness is the poison we swallow while hoping the other person dies. Bitterness is the poison that we swallow while hoping the other person dies. Now, some of us, we like our bitterness. It's, a, it's kind of a security blanket. We carry it with us wherever we go. We know how to control it. It represents kind of leverage over the people who have wounded us. But how many of you have noticed that a blanket can turn into a boulder if you carry it too long? See, some of us like to think that our hearts are like a fishing tackle box. It's got like a number of different containers. If you're, if you're an angler, you're like, oh, hooks go here, baits go here, lure goes here. You know, you've got it all neatly organized. And some of us like to think that our hearts operate the same way. I can put love for my family here. I can put uh, dreams for my career over here. I can put hope for eternity over here. And over in this corner, I'll put bitterness for my enemies. How many of you notice that hearts don't work that way? Like, it would be great if my heart was a tackle box, but my heart is actually more like a plastic kiddie pool, 26-gallon kiddie pool. And you know what? I can pour a gallon of gasoline into a kiddie pool, and guess what? It is no longer safe for toddlers to swim in. And how many of you learned the hard way that hearts are more like kiddie pools than they are like tackle boxes? And that if you put a pint or a quart or a gallon or 10 of anything toxic into that pool, it will affect everything that is in that pool. How many of you learned the hard way that you carry all of you with you wherever you go? So if I, if I carry rage or resentment or bitterness from work home with me, how many of you know that doesn't immediately evaporate once I pull into my driveway? How many of us have hard days at work that turned into hard nights at home? Yeah? Am I the only one? No, I don't think so. Why? Because we bring all of us with us wherever we go. And if bitterness resides anywhere in your brain, heart, or soul, your bitterness is seeping into other relationships and contexts in your life, whether you want it to or not. Why? Because bitterness bleeds. Bitterness bleeds into the corners of our hearts, into the recesses of our brains, into the core of our bodies. It bleeds into our prayers and our relationships. It bleeds into our memories and our motives. And if we're not careful, it will bleed into our faith and our future. Now the good news is, God gives us the grace to make every effort to root bitterness out. Has anybody started their weeding yet? Anybody started pulling stuff out by the roots yet? How many of you know, like, there's nothing quite as satisfying as taking a weed, giving it one good yank, and seeing the root end up in your head, and you're like, I am victorious over nature. 
I mowed my lawn last week, there are no dandelions. I mowed my, I mowed my lawn this week, and there are dandelions that had like clusters of nine stems. I'm like, where did that monster come from? I was just here five days ago. Now, the good news is, young weeds can come out with one manual pole, right? But if you come back to that weed in four weeks, you might need a trowel to dig that out, right? And if you come back to that weed in two years, it's turned into a tree or a bush, and now you need a backhoe to make that sucker get gone, right? So guess what? All of those roots can be removed, but the amount of time that you have given it to grow will dictate how much effort and what kind of equipment is needed to remove it. So the question I want to ask you this morning, a question that I'm also asking myself is, how long has bitterness been growing in your heart? Think of one person who has wronged you and then ask yourself this, has that been growing for two days or has it been growing for 20 years? Because how mature that bitterness is will tell us how deep and complex its root system has become. So in order for us to get past bitterness, we need to have a fresh look at the spiritual consequences of bitterness. And then we need to have a fresh look at how deeply we require mercy. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. The Bible never says that anger is sin. The Bible says that anger expressed wrongly is sin. We don't fear the emotion. We fear the unhealthy expression of that emotion. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they might have something to share with those in need. And here's the kicker. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know what I love about the Ephesians? They were so dysfunctional that Paul had to list like seven different types of rage. He's like, I want to make sure that we cover all of our bases here. I want to make sure that you know that any emotion that starts with wanting harm or ill for another person does not live in your soul unchecked. He says, why do we forgive? Because we have been forgiven by God in Christ. Now, it is tempting to rehash, rewind, and replay the wrong that is done to us, but living in bitterness blinds us to our own need for grace. Paul says, get rid of all of the malice. All of the rage, all of the bitterness, all of the gossip, all of the slander. And then forgive because you have been forgiven. Jesus tells the story of a man who was forgiven a great debt. He owed a ruler millions of dollars. And the ruler, in his mercy, rather than imprisoning him and selling his entire family as slaves, forgave that debt. A debt that he could never pay in a thousand lifetimes. And that guy went home to his neighborhood, found a guy who owed him a couple hundred bucks, and grabbed him by the neck and said, pay back what you owe me. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is trying to highlight the horrible disconnect between people who have been forgiven and people who refuse to forgive. 
In that story, Jesus reminds me that if I beg God forgiveness, but then I withhold forgiveness, I am committing an act of spiritual violence. Like if you, if you saw somebody screaming at somebody and wrapping their fingers around their throat, you would call the police. Someone's very life is in danger. And yet when you and I stoke the fires of bitterness, even asking God to be forgiven all of our nonsense, aren't we doing the same? When Jesus' disciples say, teach us to pray, he says, try this. Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is Luke's version. It's a little bit shorter than Matthew's. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Matthew says, forgive us as we forgive. Luke says, forgive us because we have forgiven. Jesus is telling his friends, he's like, hey, when you show up for prayer, sake, God, please forgive me. I've already forgiven everybody I need to forgive. Now, I don't know that I could say that most of the times that I pray. But Jesus is saying, I want forgiveness to be a lifestyle and not a behavior. A friend of mine once told me, forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. And if we're not forgiving, we're not breathing. And if we're not breathing, we're not living. And Jesus is calling every single one of us to a life of spiritual flourishing and thriving. And being able to breathe deeply spiritually is a way that we get there. Jesus wants to lead us past the waters of bitterness and deliver us from the evil that is vengeance. See, if we want to push past bitterness, we need a new look at bitterness and its consequences, a new look at ourselves and our own brokenness, and then a new look at others, a fresh look at others. Healing from the wounds of the past requires that I see the people who have hurt me as siblings and not as sinners. Rather than demonize the people who have done me wrong, God is inviting me to humanize them. But let me be clear. Forgiving somebody does not mean to excuse immoral, illegal, or unbiblical behavior. If you're in a situation right now where somebody is actively harming you, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, your first job is not to forgive that person. The first job is for you to remove yourself from that situation and be safe. But my guess is that every single one of us knows what it's like to experience a slight. Somebody didn't invite us to a party. Somebody forgot your birthday. That's a slight. Most of us have experienced offenses. Somebody has intentionally or unintentionally deeply hurt our feelings. And many of us, unfortunately, because we live in a broken world, have experienced trauma. Deep-seated angst that has resulted from others' misbehavior or evil or wickedness. And when we forgive those people, we are not excusing the wrong that they have done. We are naming it. We are wrestling with it, and we are entrusting God with the ultimate outcome of that situation. There is a fine line between yearning for justice and craving revenge. And you can forgive and still want justice. But if you find yourself clinging to the longing for revenge, you're probably not fully released from the grasp of bitterness. Jesus says this, he goes, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Call them out. Say, hey, that's not appropriate. And if they repent, if they apologize, then forgive them. Everybody on board with that? I am. That sounds reasonable. 
Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. That's I'm tapping out. Like I'll forgive you once because maybe like you were clueless and I'll forgive you twice because maybe you forgot. But if you do the same thing to me three times in one day, I'm like, I'm not sure how sorry you are. How many of us have told our children they're like fighting in the back seat? You're like, apologize, your sister. You're like, I'm sorry. You're like, yeah, that doesn't count. Like you said the words, but nobody believed you. And, and, and if somebody does the same thing to you seven times in one day, you're like, I'm not sure that any of the previous six sorries count anymore. Like this is unreasonable. And the disciples hear Jesus say that, and then they say, Lord, increase our faith. Like that can't be done. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Jesus is like, what's harder, to forgive people or tell trees to go plant themselves in the ocean? They're like, the tree part is harder. Jesus is like, uh, if I can do that, then I can do this. If you can move, pl- if you can move mountains, you can change your heart by the grace of God. And with that same faith, we can see other people not the way that we see them. We can see them the way that God sees them. Listen to the words of Jesus. Even as he is being tortured and killed by his executioners. What does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they, some of you know this verse, for they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. It says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. These Roman soldiers are gambling for a naked Jesus' clothes in the shadow of the cross. They could reach out and touch the Messiah, but all they can think about is money. They are truly and totally ignorant of what they're doing and how they got there. You know what Jesus understood that I don't understand? He goes, those soldiers that were literally robbing his breath from him, for them it wasn't personal. You think those Roman soldiers whose job was to be full-time executioners, you think they rolled out of bed that one day, they're like, ah, we hate this Jesus guy. We're going to make sure he dies today. Chances are they crucified so many people, they didn't even know whose name was on the list. They were just showing up for work. Why? Because in their line of work, And in the empire that they represented, the only language that was required was the language of violence. So it was no surprise to Jesus that that was the only language that they spoke. And so as he's forgiving them, he's like, Lord, they can only see this much of what's happening in this moment. And you can see the whole piece. Forgive them. They're misguided and overwhelmed and confused. Will you show mercy on them? I don't know about you, but if you have been deeply hurt by another person, you usually know that the last emotion that you have for them is empathy. A few years ago, I had a person who had hurt, hurt me deeply, both professionally and personally. And the actions that he took and the words that he spoke caused deep wounds for me that had significant implications for my family. But the more I thought about his behavior... And the more I realized about his family of origin, I felt like God was telling me that he had always been working with a limited relational toolkit as an adult. And it wasn't that he was trying to get it wrong, but he was, like those Roman soldiers, speaking the only language that he knew, which was leading by fear and shame and bullying and intimidation. 
And once I realized that, it didn't excuse the behavior, but it helped me understand it. And I was finally able to echo Jesus' prayer. God, forgive him and help me forgive him because he is lost and confused. When I was in elementary school, there was a neighbor boy who lived across the street who was a little bit older than I am. And I don't know if this happened two times or 20 times. My memory's a little bit fuzzy, but, but he pushed me down. He like, physically put hands on me and harmed me. And I, just, I remember dreading the walk home because nobody likes to confront a bully. And I never really understood why he was doing what he was doing. I was in elementary school. About four years later, I was walking home to my house from middle school and saw ambulances in front of his home across the street from my house. I was just absolutely heartbroken to hear that he had, as a high schooler, taken his life. And after that happened, I, I rewound all those other prior experiences and started to ask myself this question. What was going on in his world that made him do the things that he was doing? Was it wrong, was it wrong for him to hurt me when I was a fifth grader? Absolutely. But was something going on in his, his mind, in his heart, that I will never fully understand? Of course it was. We don't, we don't know what other people's battles are. And I want to be clear, it doesn't excuse the behavior but it does allow us to reframe who they are and where they're coming from and allow us to learn the prayer of Jesus that's, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if we want to move beyond bitterness, we have to understand we need a fresh look at bitterness and its consequences. We need a fresh look at ourselves and our brokenness. We need a fresh look at others to be reminded that no matter who they are and what they've done, they're created in the image of God. And God's hope is their healing and their restoration and their redemption. And then finally, we need a new look at God. Another story that was told by a follower of Jesus tells of a man named Stephen who was preaching to a group of people that were a hostile audience in Jerusalem. This is not long after those very, that very same group of people called for Jesus to be executed. And when he was telling them the story of Jesus, they were so incensed that they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But then it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who else prayed for the Father to receive their spirit? Jesus. And then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who else prayed a prayer like that? Jesus. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now the people who were killing Stephen were experts in the Jewish tradition. And every single one of them would have known the story of Zechariah hundreds of years before Zechariah had been a prophet of God who was speaking out against corruption. And the people in the very same city that Stephen was killed in Jerusalem dragged him, uh, they actually killed him in the middle of the temple complex. And as he was dying, he said, God, see what they're doing and call them to account. With his last breath, he was saying, Lord, judge these people for their crimes against me. And if Stephen had prayed that prayer, none of the people who were killing him would have been surprised, but he prayed a different prayer. Instead of saying, God, kill them all, he said, Lord, forgive them. Do you think that those men who took Stephen's life were haunted 
by that line for the rest of their days? I believe so because we know that the one man who was holding the coats of the killers so that they wouldn't get blood on their jackets was a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul, after witnessing how Stephen acted, was somebody who endured persecution and near death multiple times. Why? Because he didn't hate his enemies. Because he knew what it was to be forgiven. And when you and I can see Jesus as not just a nice guy who told good stories, but as the resurrected, redeeming Son of God who stands at the right hand of the Father with all wisdom and all power and all authority and all victory, somebody who has defeated sin and death and hell forever and who can reign over all of the wounds and darkness from our past, that can give us both hope and power and clarity. Jesus has restored all things. He's redeemed every hurt for his glory. And by his wounds, our wounds can be healed. And the offenses of others have wounded us, but they don't defeat us and they don't define us. And a clear picture of the resurrected Jesus reminds us that this is true. So we can let them go and we can take one more step towards the wholeness that Jesus won for us on the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that your desire is that we could be a people who are forgiving and forgiven. And Lord, if there are bitterness that has roots in any of our lives, I pray that you would give us the grace to do the work, to pull it up by the root, so that we can see you and we can walk in restoration to those who have hurt us as a testimony of your grace and your love and your mercy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the challenge there is, as always, for us to continue to deepen in Christ, trust Him, seek Him, as He helps us grow closer to our family by releasing those things that maybe bring toxicity and issues for us to face in our home. Let's continue to yield those to the Lord. Thank you again for partnering with us. We look forward to continuing to have your support as we carry on the mission of winning at home.